0: Uh, we are in Genesis chapter 3, so you can turn there with me. I'm going to do a little bit of setup here out of Genesis chapter 2, and then we're going to go from there. Uh, where do all of our problems come from? Why is your marriage difficult? What is going on in our culture right now? Why is everybody fighting? Why is every day there an, there's another controversy? Outraged culture and we're outraged about something Why is there constant friction among people? Why is there hatred? Toward the other political party depending on which one you're a part of why are all of these things taking place? It all comes down to what's happening in Genesis chapter 3 It's all it all comes down to this and the problem is if you get Genesis chapter 3 wrong you get the rest of the Bible wrong. If you get this wrong, you get the rest of the Bible wrong. And I want to tell you that there are so-called Christian teachers that will come out and, and, and say things that are in direct defiance of the scriptures in this area. If you get this wrong, you get the rest of the Bible wrong. If you get this wrong, you may not even know Jesus and think that you do. It's that important. It is that important. We must understand it in order to understand the gospel in its fullness. Now, I want you to take a look with me as we look back over, the, uh, over chapter two. If you remember correctly uh, from last week, kind of where I left off, and I'm really trying to pick back up where I left off there, God creates Adam. He creates him first. Uh, that designates him as a leader, especially in in that day, because as we you might remember, this is written for Israel, and in Israel the understanding is the firstborn is the leader uh, within the home among the uh, among the children, and so this is primary to them. Adam was created first, and I'm going somewhere here, and it's gonna be offensive, and so just just so you're aware, just just be ready for that. It'll be awesome, and so. Uh, Adam is created first. God gives him a command. And he tells him, don't eat of this tree. You can eat of anything else, but you cannot eat of this tree. And God says this. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. Like this guy, Adam, he's got problems. And as a result, all of us have problems. And it's not a deficiency as somebody, as as a man, because God created him good. God created him good, and he created him to need help. And so he says, it is not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper who's fit for him. And so he creates Eve. And he creates Eve in such a way that she comes alongside of him. She's a helper for him. And then as you look towards the end of chapter 2 adam sees the woman and he says this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man and then there's commentary here therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed so the whole thing here it's setting up this whole idea of adam as uh uh, as a leader Eve coming alongside of him as a helper, but they are not two individuals. They're not two different people any longer. God performs the first wedding, and what happens is this Adam recognizes something. She's of me, she's by me, she's with me, she's one flesh with me. And God says, They are one flesh, they're not two individuals. The biblical concept that I'm talking about here is submission and headship. That's not our primary purpose here this morning, but I just want to tell you that submission by the woman and headship by the man. Now, the reason why people get so bent out of shape about this is because they think, Man, guys are so abusive. You look at the Me Too movement. Guys have abused women. They should no longer do that. Therefore, men should not be in charge, and we need to work towards that. And I would absolutely agree that men should not abuse women in any way, shape, or form. The biblical model for what it looks like to lead is servant leadership. It is the complete opposite of the Me Too movement. It's, it's or, or not the movement itself, but of what has, you know, caused that movement. And that is the abuse of women, It's it's the exact opposite of what God has called for husbands to treat their wives. It is the exact opposite. So what we have is we have a major issue. And the major issue is this, is that we have two people who are now individuals because our world believes, okay, men are abusing women, and so we're just going to live as two individuals. And if you're in your marriage today, and you're thinking, I'm going to be an individual and I hope that I marry somebody who uh, helps me as it become who I'm supposed to be as an individual. And who uh, helps me in my career and who, uh, you, know, uh, you know, helps me have, you know, beautiful children or whatever it is. You're looking at it selfishly. You're not looking at it as one flesh. See, the whole problem here is that we, we're not looking at each other as we are one And when you wrap your brain around this idea of one flesh and God's intention that man and woman would be together as one flesh, when you get that, then there is no leadership struggle. There should not be a leadership struggle. Because this is God's good design. This is the way that it was created to be. And so, what we see is this. I want to take you back to Ephesians uh, chapter chapter 5 and you don't necessarily need to turn there right now but it says in 521 submitting to one another out of reverence for christ That there's a mutual submission that happens between uh, not just men and women but between christians as well there's a mutual submission that takes place within the body of christ and then he goes into this he says wives submit to your own husbands as to the lord so the whole idea is this he's picking up On the Genesis creation story and he's saying wives I want you to submit to your husbands I want you to in essence not just be a helper but but to follow him to follow his lead and the truth is is this is that uh, every woman that I've ever talked to is looking for their husband to lead they want him They want to be able to submit to him There are times when they push back on that and they don't even know that they're doing it But ultimately men are created to be initiators and women are created to be responders And it is in and through that that they find their way forward so women are to submit and men it does not say to men, men, ensure that your wives are submissive and that they're following your every, every direction and all these things. No, it says something else. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by, by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Do You see this idea of one flesh, it's coming together, it's saying, you should take care of her in the same way that you would take care of yourself. You should be together with her, you should be one with her. So the husband is the head of the wife, the wife is to submit to the husband, they are to be so tightly together, and that husband is to be leading in a servant's, with a servant's heart. Now, Why would I bring all this up? We have so many single people in this church where you're just going, oh my gosh, why is he talking about this Uh, marriage again? It's because the entirety of scripture is based on this idea of this marriage and how it goes sideways, this first marriage. And if you don't get this first marriage right, if you don't get uh, Genesis chapter three right, then you miss everything. And here's the other thing, if you don't understand this as a single person, you could walk out of here and you could end up marrying somebody who does not understand their role as a leader. And I would say that all of us when we come to marriage are deficient. All of us are not the right person. But you could walk out, you could end up marrying somebody at some point who doesn't believe the scriptures or doesn't understand their role within the context of of that marriage and it's just going to bring heartache and pain in your life. You've got to see that. And furthermore, Jesus' church is called the bride of Christ. And Christ is the husband in that. We can't understand the church outside of this idea of marriage. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made and it says this, he said to the woman, who said to the woman? Wait, who just just talked? There's a talking snake. There's a talking snake. Have you ever thought about that? There's a talking snake in the Bible. And so this is why people look at this and just go, this is craziness. I just wanna tell you that this is the word of God. And he says that this is what took place. And so we need to believe it as it stands. The snake represents Satan or is Satan in that situation. And so what happens here is it says this. He said to the woman, the snake said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths." I'm gonna stop right there for right now. What is happening right here and right now? What is taking place here? Well, first of all, we have a major problem and that is that God designed Adam as the lead in his home. God designed Adam to be the leader But what's taking place here is that you see Eve acting independently. And it's not that, oh, oh, she's a woman and she can't handle, no. It is that God has called man and wife to come together. If you remember, what I just said is this, it's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Man needs his wife and his wife needs her man. They need to be together. And so what's, what's happening here is that all of a sudden there's a new scene and the scene is this. Hey, hey, there's a snake and he is crafty. And what's he trying to do? He is trying to take Adam and Eve, husband and wife, and he's trying to get in between them. So what is Satan's goal in and through us in this world? Satan's goal here and now begins with this, isolation, isolation. Satan wants to get you to a point where you are isolated from God and community. Satan wants to get you to a point where you are isolated not just from God, not just from the community, but from your spouse. He wants to separate you. He wants to limit the conversations that you have. He wants wants you to be isolated, alone, and by yourself. And how does that happen? It happens in this way. When you believe the lie that it doesn't matter if I go to church or not. It's an absolute lie. It could end up with you coming to find out that you never believed in the first place. Because of this, you prayed a prayer at one point, and you expected that prayer to be the, the saving influence of your life, and then you went on. At one point, you said, God, you will be my Savior. Jesus, you will be my King. And then you go on and live your life for, for the rest of your life, acting as though you are King. And what that shows is this. You are never under the authority and leadership of God to begin with, and you're not His. If you believe the lie that I can be an isolated Christian. Have there been people who have not been a part of churches and have still, uh, are still saved? Absolutely. But I want to tell you what the norm is and what is right and true according to scriptures. And that is this. That you would walk in community on a regular basis. And that you would be faithful to that. The statistics today... Of people who think, you know, I'll go to church sometimes, or I won't go to church sometimes. They are astounding. And for a believer in Jesus Christ to believe that somehow God has saved you to rugged individualism is not salvation. It's American Christianity, and it's a lie. It's not true. He will isolate you. Satan is is telling you a lie. You can be apart from the community of believers. He'll isolate you in a literal way. But then there's another way, and that is that he will bring you to perceived isolation. Perceived isolation. And that is this. There's no one like me at that church. No one would understand what I'm going through. No one would be able to see my sin. No one would be able to accept it. I can't bring it up. I'm isolated. There's no one like me. I don't have a community there. I don't want to go to the, that community group, because I don't even, you know, those people, they aren't like me. Oh, <laughs> oh, They're, they haven't been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, a sinner in need of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's, that, that's not true? You don't have anything in common with those people? When we treat the church like it's a deliverer of goods and services? That's when we come to a point where we say, you know what, uh, it's perceived isolation. They don't have the things that I need. I don't really like their music. I don't really like this. I don't really, I don't really like that. It's a lie. It's Satan's effort to isolate you. So you could literally be in church occasionally or even all the time and still be isolated through perceived isolation. You'd be thinking to yourself, no one understands me. No one gets it. No one, no one gets who I am. I am and it ultimately says this don't trust anyone don't trust anyone with my sin don't trust anyone with what's been done to me you know the stuff that's been done to you the multitude of women in this room that have been that have been sexually abused is astounding the people in here that have never That have never come out and said, this is what took place. This is is how I was sexually abused as a young boy or as a a young girl. Do you know what that does? you know what that does? It's not your sin that's the problem. Well, it is ultimately because you can't be saved without acknowledging that first. But that abuse isn't your sin. That abuse is someone else's sin. And the perceived isolation comes in when you say, I can't tell anybody about it because they would think that I caused it. And you didn't cause it. It's not your fault. You didn't do it. I have a dear friend that was sexually abused. And it's, it's horrific. It's horrific. And we're just pulling back the layers now. We're just pulling the layers back now. Where he's finally coming into who he is. It's perceived isolation that you think that somehow the sin that was done to me was my fault or something like that. And so you're isolated. And Satan wants to keep you there. And Jesus wants to love you there. And the church wants to come around you and care for you. That's the first problem, is isolation. The second thing that that Satan wants to do in your life, and what we ultimately end up doing every time that we sin, is we question. We question God. Get into isolation. I'm I'm telling you how to sin here. I'm telling you how to... how to fall out of the church, how to walk away. The first way is you should isolate yourself. The second way is this, is that you should question God. You should question who he is. You should say this, why would a good God create this beautiful tree and tell me not to eat of it? Why would God make that tree and say, no, you can't have it. You can't be a part of it. It's the question that's being asked over and over again about sexuality. Why would God give me these, de- these desires and not allow me to fulfill them? And I gotta tell you this, and it's so difficult because it's so core to who you feel like you are, and that the answer is that God didn't give you that desire. The fall did, sin did. We'll get to more of that in a second. But to question, why would God make this tree? Why would he put this woman in my life at my work who is so perfectly everything that I wish that my wife was? I- I'm not actually saying this. I'm just, just to be clear. But that, doesn't that happen? You, gotta, you wake up in the morning, you have the fight that you've always had, you go to work, and the person that you really connect with. If the person that you think about. It's not your wife, it's the, the gal in the office. Or it's the guy in the office who... You have a cold husband at home who just doesn't love you and doesn't act like he loves you. And so what you, what you tell yourself is that, if I was with that guy, then, then he would love me. Why would God give me the, the desires for that person? if he didn't want me to fulfill it. Why would God create a beautiful tree and say, don't, don't eat, eat of that? Why would he do that? God created you as a moral agent. He created you in his image. And he designed you this way. And we could ask why all day long. But at the end of the day, we're left with God's word and his rule and his reign. And all we can say is we submit to it. Now, there are people who have pontificated uh, over and over again. But what's the meaning of this? What's, why would this be there? And the, only th- the simplest answer that I can come up with is this, is that as image bearers, meaning we've been created in the image of God, we bear some resemblance to him. And one of those resemblances is that we would have the ability to make moral decisions. And so in that finite way, you and I are created in the image of God. And so we've been given a choice. We've been created as uh, moral agents. We have moral agency. We're not animals. Animals do not have moral agency. God gave that to you. So why would a good God do this? Because only a good God would create a beautiful tree and tell you not to eat of it. Only a good God would create those things. The third thing is this. Define for yourself what is right and good. I've got all of these three points I should say from my uh, Theology professor, Gary Breshears, want to give him credit. He's a great teacher. Define for yourself what is right and good. You're isolated. You begin to question. And then you begin to put definitions to those questions. No, you know, God, He created that, and so it must be good, and so I should go after that. There's people who call themselves Christians, who have written books, who have gone to great pains to be just like the serpent and to come to you and say, did God actually say? Did God actually say? And if you look at what he says here in verse 1, halfway through, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Look at the confusion that he just said. God made, made it very clear to Adam, and Adam was to pass that to his wife, which he did because she repeats it back to the serpent. But look at how Satan wants to impugn the nature of God. He's saying, only a ridiculous God would not let you eat any fruit tree. And she comes back and she says, no, it's not every fruit tree. It's just that one. Well, same thing. Why would God do that? Satan's effort is to question what God has done. And then to say to you, you have got to define for yourself what is right and good. And do you see the chaos in our world? All of the fighting, the political battles, it is horrific. Do you see what's happening in marriages? Do you see what's happening... all all over the place, what's taking place, it's because no one is in submission to one moral law giver and everyone has defined for themselves or their self what is morally right and good. They have become a moral lawgiver. giver. I, I was thinking about trying to find examples for you of this, but they, they are so replete. They are throughout our culture every day. Watch Oprah. Watch a TV preacher. Watch... Whoever you want, wherever you want, watch The View, watch Fox News, watch whatever you want, and what you're going to find is this, is that humanity has a major problem, and the major problem is this, they've isolated themselves from God and community. They are questioning who God is. Number three, they're defining for themselves what is true and right and good. Both political parties do that. Men and women do that. Everyone does this we define what is right and good for ourselves. The major problem ultimately comes down to this. Because of Adam's sin in the garden, all of us have sinned. Because of Adam's Character flaw, and this is really important, and I'm not going to get into it today entirely out of the rest of Genesis, but what happens is this: through Adam's sin, uh, and then um, and re- really Eve is the first one who sinned. She's the one who's isolated, and then her husband's there, and she gives that to him. And what happens is this: is that God comes to Adam. And he says, "Adam, where are you?" God pursues this man. He doesn't pursue Eve. It's not that he's not pursuing Eve. It's that he comes to Adam first. And why does he come to Adam? Because Adam, you were created first. I gave you the command first. You're the head of your home, and she is your helper. And you are the one who allowed this to take place. You are ultimately responsible. And so he comes to Adam. And where is Adam? Adam. He's sitting there, it seems like, the whole time. She's isolated relationally. But Adam's sitting there, and he's passive. He's not saying anything. His family is going down the drain, which, by the way, is the entirety of the human race. His family's going down the drain, and what's he doing? He's sitting there. He's doing nothing. And gentlemen, I want to tell you that this is your problem. We are passive, just like Adam was passive. We're passively sitting around in our our marriages saying, you know, I guess she'll take over the, the spiritual headship in our home. You're neglecting, you're abdicating your role as a man and as a leader, and as a model. And we sit there and we do nothing as a leader and perhaps we are doing something but we're leading in all the wrong ways it's still abdication it's still passivity it's still a problem and so instead of uh, leading we're tearing apart our families because we refuse to be at home with our family we refuse to make uh, being a part of church community a foundational issue for our home. And you say, you know, I want to do that, but my wife just doesn't want to do it. Hey, guess what? God has caused you to be a leader, not a domineering jerk, to demand this or demand that, to but to gently and lovingly say, Honey, how can I help you? How can I come alongside of you? What do you feel like your resistance is? It might be because the kids are hard to get ready. Guess what? Come on, put your big boy pants on, men. Help get the kids ready for church the night before. Honey, how can I come alongside of you? And it's not just church, but it's your financial stability. Where you say, I don't know, you know, you, you can blame your wife and say, you know, she just, she just keeps spending money or something like that. But the truth is you've never taken the role of leader and, and have established the reality, which is this. That we are responsible together as one flesh and I need to initiate on this. Men, how are you leading in your home? Because here's the problem. Because of Adam's sin, all of creation has become sinful. Because of Adam's sin, all men have this clear issue, and that is we will sit idly by and allow our families to go down the drain. And by the way, I want to make sure that I'm clear here. It's not that Our wives are all Eve, and they're just trying to get us in trouble, and if we would just stand up, then we could do that. No, this is one situation. This happens to be there. You are responsible to be there with your wife. You are to discuss these things together. You are to walk these things out in your life. And if you don't, if you don't, you're allowing your marriage to slip down the tubes. And it says in verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What's the result of the fall? The result is this, is hiding. It's further isolation. It's isolating yourself further from God and saying, God, I don't want to see God. I don't want to be a part of him. When you feel like not being in the word, when you feel like not being a part of God's community, when you feel like not being engaged there, one thing you can be sure of is this, is that you're hiding from God. In the same way that Adam and Eve hid from God, they hid themselves from God. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" And it's the same thing that we're going to say to you men this morning is, "Where are you?" in your marriage? Are you not going to stand up and lead? Are you always going to allow your wife just to have to be the one that's spiritually leading? Will you never lead in prayer? Have you no honor? Have you no guts? Where is the bravery our world is smashing men to pieces today, calling them girls, saying sexual identity doesn't matter, gender doesn't matter, it does matter, and if you do not lead, you're missing the point of the created order. Where are you? Where are you? And that means to lovingly seek out your wife. It is not demanding it is lovingly repenting to your wife and saying, I have not led. Many of us, perhaps all of us, need to go home today and repent to our wives and say, I am so sorry that I have not led. I am so sorry that I have not been there as a, as a husband, as a father. Many of you guys who are single need to repent because you're not even leading your dating relationship in the right way and you think that you're gonna get married and all that's gonna change? You've been taking part and being physical with your girlfriend. You've been taking part and I understand how difficult that is. I was in that role. Every one of us is responsible here. But that is a way to abdicate your role as a leader. That is a way to abdicate your role as as the head of your future home. Or you're just a player and you just hang out with girl after girl and you're dashing the dreams of young women who are waiting for their knight in shining armor and you're a punk and you should not have that opportunity. Where are you in the leadership? we should be the ones who are leading and treating young single women as sisters in Christ and are we doing that? how do we do that? where are you? and Adam says he said I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself and God says Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Classic. 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 That situation happened in the context of you as leader, Adam of you as husband men that situation played out as you were in charge you were the one who's responsible it happened under your care it happened under your watch it's your responsibility and what does he do he does what every man does god my marriage would be better except for the fact the woman that you put here with me. That woman. And you could say this, I married the wrong woman. Nope. God is sovereign, you married the right one. You married the right one. It may be tougher for you. It may be more difficult, but you married the right one. Guess who's messed up in your relationship? More often than not, it's you. It's, it's not that there aren't women who have challenging situations and push back against the godly husband and go their own way. That happens, I've seen it happen. But more often than not, here's what's taking place. When you and I end up in my office, you tell me, she does this and she does that she does the other thing. And I'm gonna look right back at you and I'm gonna say, you are the head of your home and she is responding to your lack of initiation or whatever it is that you have initiated in your home she's responding to it you you think the lack of love that you've created you think that the home that you've created here that's not loving that's not caring you think that that should just automatically mean that she sleeps with you whenever you want even though you've been just just a jerk you you think that that's what should happen when you created the situation, see, gals have their issues. I mean, we're all human here. But men, you create the situation. You're the one who creates the foundational principles on which your family runs. And when you get Many, many years down the road and you finally say, I've been on the wrong road for a long time, guess what? It takes you a long time to get back to that fork in the road that you took and get on God's road and get on to where God has called you to be a leader. It takes a long time. It's not going to change overnight. We blame our spouse. We blame everyone else. We do not take responsibility for this. And I have wasted my breath with people before, over and over again saying, you are responsible for the way that your home has gone. You are the leader of your home. You must take leadership through sacrificing yourself. Lay yourself down. Bleed out the way that Jesus bled out for you. Jesus is the model. He's the model husband. He gives up everything. What's he give up? Did he give up football? Oh, it's more important than football. Did he give up his toys? It's more important than your stupid toys. What what did he give up? I don't know, what are you fighting about? What are you battling over? Did Jesus give that up? He gave up something way more important, his blood. He gave it up for you. You cannot blame your spouse. You have only yourself to blame. Most of the time. Most of the time. Now, don't start getting this idea, like, "Ah, my situation is different. I doubt it, but we can talk if you want. Where are you, men? Where are you? Are we even on the same page? I love you guys. I love you. I do. I'm not your dad. I'm your brother. I want so badly for you to have a great marriage. I want so badly for single women in this church to desire that kind of guy, to know what to look for, to not go outside of, uh, outside of God's people and think, oh, he treats me better, but he doesn't know Jesus. I, I want so badly to tell you, do not settle for a punk who looks nice and who has a paycheck and maybe a house. We'll get some guys who aren't cross-eyed and toothless in this church eventually, Right? I know it's not right now, but is it soon? Soon. I want that so badly for you. But I also want young men who are single here today, and I want them to pick up the mantle and I want them to to run with it. I want them to walk with it and to say that I I am being a godly man for my future spouse. I've set aside pornography. I'm watching what I intake. I work hard. I'm I'm walking with Jesus. I'm connecting with the local church. I apply the gospel to my life. I want that so badly for you. But what else I want so badly for you is this. I want women in this church who feel like they've been in this oppressive marriage with a guy who will not pick up the leadership of the home and start leading. And I want you to to know that we love you and we care about you. Bring your husband to church. I don't care what it takes. Get him to church and maybe he's here with you. Get him to talk to one of the elders. Get him to talk to, to me. Come talk to me and tell me what's going on. Say, come, go hang out with my husband sometime. I want that so badly for you because of this, because marriage is so amazing when you live as one flesh. And I'm not saying that I've even fully gotten there, but I just want to tell you that I'm amazed at the goodness of God in my marriage. And I I wake up so often, and I I just, I can't believe it. I can't believe how God has blessed me in that. And do you know what? Even through hardship, you can have that. Even through difficulty, you can have that in Christ. There's no guarantee that when you walk with Jesus that you're going to have a perfect marriage. But this life isn't everything. It's the next life that's everything. For now, this marriage is here for your sanctification. You have been put into a marriage in order to uh, refine you Your marriage may be difficult right now. Well, guess what? You're in a furnace, and God is purifying what's in your life. He's pulling things out. He's saying, nope, that doesn't belong. That selfishness, that should not be there. That should not be a part of that. So oftentimes we pray, God, I want to be closer to you. I want to walk with you. I want to I, I I say yes to what God wants from me, and then all of a sudden marital problems come upon us and we say, What the heck? God, I want to be close to you. And God says, I know. That's why you have marital problems. Why? Because marriage is God's way of sanctification in our lives. Single people should desire marriage because sanctification continues to happen to a greater degree when you get married. I'm not saying you won't be sanctified or that you can't grow in that in a community as a single person. It definitely can happen. It happens in a different way when you get married. You should desire marriage. It's not the only thing, but you should desire it. I'm going to cover more of that next week. Here's the the bad news, guys. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. It's through Adam's sin that all of us are sinful. There's no man in here that has it together. There's no man in here... That's just perfect, and you th- if you think that you are, if you think that you've got it, you're sitting in pride, and you need to be knocked off your high horse. There's nobody in here, man or woman, that has not experienced the sin of Adam. It's called original sin. I listened to a TV preacher just this week who said, you know what, I believe that most people are born good. That they're born righteous. And that is not true. Because of Adam's sin, all of us have become sinful. Romans chapter 3 says this, chapter 3 verse 10. As it is written, no one is righteous, no not one, no one understand, no one seeks for God. There's nobody who seeks after God. There's nobody who's righteous before God in and and of themselves. You might think I'm a moral person. You might think, you know what, I've always liked God. I've always kind of believed in God. But you have to understand this. You are not a moral person in and of yourself. You're prone to isolation. You're prone to questioning. You're prone to defining what is right and good for yourself. And it is because of that that we see the fact that Adam is in you That you and I are totally depraved. That you and I have nothing left. Every part of our being has been tainted and touched by sin. Our desires, our sexual desires, our gender, our marriage, everything about us, even the good things that we do, they're tainted by sin. They're motivated oftentimes by pride. They're motivated by this idea of God will accept me if I do something good. And the truth is, is that there is no one righteous. There's not even one. Every part of us has been affected by this sin from Adam. And so as a result, what's our our issue? Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan. Satan. Every single one of us is in this position. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of, of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body. Why would God give me these desires? God didn't give you these desires. God didn't give you that desire to sin against him, to define what is right and good, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature Children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. The bad news is this, ladies and gentlemen, is that we all have original sin. There is no one who is good. There is no humanity that is basically good. There is no race that is basically good. There is no political party. There is no marriage. There is no nothing. There is no gender that is basically good. All of us have been tainted. We are a child of wrath. We deserve condemnation. There is nothing left for us. You cannot get to God on your own. You cannot be good enough. You cannot have a better marriage. You cannot walk out of here today and say, you know what, I'm just gonna try a little bit harder. I'm gonna be more moral. I'm gonna make things better. It's not going to work for you. And it's because of this. You're dead, you're lifeless. You are totally depraved. You do not have a leg to stand on. You cannot save yourself. God is the only one who can save you. But if you look at the next verse in Ephesians, we see the good news. Verse 4 of chapter 2 But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Do you see what that says? It says this. I'm dead. I'm lifeless. I'm sinful. I have no way forward. I don't have any way to get to God. I don't have any way to be moral. But God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. How does he do it? 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake... God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus was sinless. He is God in the flesh so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you see the the powerful transformation that takes place? All of the sin, all of all of the discomfort in our world, all of the fighting, all of the political stuff is a result of Adam's sin. Adam's problem. That marriage falling apart and not acting like it's one flesh, but working as two individuals, working separately. That sin, and it spread to all humankind and made us all dead. And what we need... Is we need a righteous Savior who comes and says, I am making it possible for you to be in right relationship with God again. I can do that. And he does it on the cross. And what he specifically does on the cross is this, he takes your sin and he makes it his own. He doesn't sin, but he goes to the cross with your sin. And he says that anyone who looks to him and puts faith in him, anyone who looks to him and says, I'm going to trust Jesus for my righteousness. I see the sin that's in me. I see the way that I've replicated who Adam is in my marriage, in my life. I see what that's like. Anyone who looks to Jesus and says, I'm putting faith in you. I'm trusting you. I'm resting in you. I'm saying, I no longer have the ability to be moral. I never did now I'm trusting in Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the only way forward. Have you been jacking up your life? Are you involved in an affair? Are you steeped in pornography? Have you been a bad husband? Have you been a, a, a poor wife? Have you been abusive in your home? Have you not been a hard worker? All of that is replicating who Adam is, and Jesus went to the cross for that sin. How do you become someone different? You look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, and you trust him. And you live in gratitude to that and say, you know what, because Jesus did this for me. I want to walk in a new life. I pray that today that you do that. And I pray that you understand today that you have no goodness of your own because of Adam's sin, and it only comes from Jesus, and you cannot have relationship with God without Jesus. Trust in Jesus today. Let's pray. take a minute just on your own and would you would you just do business with God for a moment maybe you could answer the question where are you today Where are you at relationally with God? Some of you are experiencing conviction right now. And we come together to remind ourselves of the gospel. And so I just, I just want to tell you to, if you're experiencing conviction right now that you would just, that you would feel that, just wait a minute and feel that. And just say the truth about that, that sin. Say what's true, I'm i I'm a sinner, I'm lazy, I haven't worked hard, I'm I've worked too much and I haven't led my home. I'm an adulterer. I'm lustful. I'm I'm a liar. Whatever it is, what is, what is being said? What is, conviction has to happen first. And then I just want you to have this picture in your mind of Jesus broken and bloodied on the cross. And I want you to in your, in your mind, just lift up your head and see Jesus. And just see him bleeding out for you on the cross. And see him say, all this is for you. And just say, Jesus, I, I trust you. I, I want to trust you with my sin. I want to trust you with what I'm convicted over. Give that to him right now. Because this is why we come together. Lord God, would you make this true in these people's lives? Lord, for all of us. God, that we'd be people who understand our sin, that we'd understand where we are in brokenness and in death without you, that you went to the cross for us. Lord, would you bring that about in our minds? Would you break us? And Lord, may we celebrate right now who you are, that you went to the cross and you've been resurrected from the grave. It's in your name we pray, amen.